Hi, I'm Janine, and this is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. It is my pleasure to welcome to this week's show Joyce Marie Fitzpatrick and co-director Brian Shackelford. Thank you so much for having us. Yes, thank you. Well, as I said, congratulations on your film. That's a huge accomplishment. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It it definitely is. Um, Distribution and being able to, to share it with the audience that we wanted to share it with um, which actually was not our our goal um, initially. Initially, no. yeah. yeah, it was really more about getting the story told. Mm-hmm. Um, this was one of those things where, um, when the story first came across, I, I, I admit I was very skeptical about it because we had just done a, another uh, documentary, and documentary documentary filmmaking involves so much time. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I read um, the blog post that Joy shared with me, I wanted to be a part. Of telling this story because I was so amazed that some of these stories hadn't been told already. And then like everything with a documentary, once you start to tell a documentary, you go in with the story you plan to tell, but then the story evolves into something so much bigger. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. Joyce, you found this story on a blog post? Uh, actually, no, that that's not how it, it, it happened. Um, the, the, the whole story hmm. behind the story is a very personal one Mm -hmm. um, because Dr. Robinson, who you saw featured in the film, um, I grew up across the street from him. Um, We are all lived in the same neighborhood in Indianapolis, Indiana. Okay. And as a child, I would see him in his scrubs going to work and I used to babysit his daughter who actually is a producer on the film. That's great. And yes, Rebecca. Yes. That's how the story started Mm -hmm. because Rebecca reached out to me via uh, social media, Facebook, um, back in 2011, I think, or 2012. Yeah. And um, I didn't even recognize her uh, because I didn't see a photo. She, she had gotten married, so she had a different name. Mm-hmm. So when she said, hi, Joyce, how are you? I'm like, who is this person? Who are you? That was when Facebook was really kind of still sketchy and people yes. were making up names and everything. So I didn't know who she was. And then when she says, you remember me as Becky Boo. And I'm like, oh, my God. You Becky Boo? Oh, I used to babysit. <laughs> so we jumped on a phone call. And it was great having the reunion. So then she said that her father had been looking at my Facebook page, um, watching the things that I had been doing and found out that I was a filmmaker because – you know, once I grew up, everyone moved away. You know, you go to college and you move away. And I came to California to go to college. So, you know, relationships, they change. But we always are neighbors. So mm-hmm. once I spoke with Dr. Robinson, mm-hmm. then they said to read his blog, which I did, which is called Uriah's Chronicles. And that is when I really saw the importance of the documentary. or the telling of the story. Mm-hmm. But also just about the stories that he told, because if you do get an opportunity, uh, Jenny, to read uh, Uriah's Chronicles, Dr. Robinson's Chronicles, mm-hmm. it gives you a backstory as to why uh, the Homer G. Phillips is so important. And it actually reads like that that uh, decades version of Grey's Anatomy. It, it's, it just has everything from love stories to that crime, hate, everything, all in his blog. And I was like, this is amazing. So once we got that decided upon, him and I would go back and forth over phone calls. And I actually asked him initially, it was the very first thing that came out of my mouth. I said, Dr. Robinson, you know, why me? Why would you ask me to tell this story? Because you could have hired any film crew, you know. What do you say? He said, because I know you. 
And but yeah. but at the time, he still didn't know. I mean, he saw some of my work, but you know how it is. And he, he got a sense about you. Yes, evidently. And he says, I remember you as a child being, you know, not like the other kids, like everyone was playing. And I, I played too. But he says, you were always asking me questions about medicine and always in my medical books. So I always considered you to be a little more intelligent. And I'm like, okay. But regardless of that, that is how it actually got started. So Brian, we kind of have this good cop, bad cop relationship <laughs> where, you know, I'm the person that listens to everybody and they have a sad story or they this. I'm like, oh, you know, and he's like, okay, no, we're not doing that. We're not, <laughs> we're not so, doing that. <laughs> right. So when I brought the story to him, he was really a good person to vet the whole mm-hmm. situation because he goes, you know what? That's great. Dr. Robinson is cool. And I know you have a personal connection, but how do I know? What if the story's worth it? So he got on the phone with Dr. Robinson, yeah. and once he spoke with them, and he definitely answered all those questions, mm-hmm. then that's when it somewhat it took go? off. Now, yeah. we were working on another documentary at the time, and that one was very involved, which was Sunshine Needle for Me. So we were traveling, mm-hmm. and we were in Malaysia and Tokyo and all this stuff because that film took place in those places. Mm-hmm. So as soon as we got back and we had to deal with festivals for that, and then it ended up on what, you know how it is, uh, you work on a project and then it's your baby and you push it off. Yes. Once Sunshine Noodles, we got it on PBS and we were like, okay, great. Now it's gone. Now we can focus. So then that's when it started. Right. By the way, I love how nonchalant you are. Oh, we got it on PBS. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. Oh no. You know, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't mean it that way. You know, Jenny, um, being, in, being in California, um, you're probably familiar with the KLCS. Yes. Are you familiar? Yeah. I used to work there okay. um, as a promotional uh, producer, and also I worked there in the studio. I, I started off as a broadcast assistant, working camera, setting okay. lights, doing everything, working yeah. in master control. Mm-hmm. So when I got the job to move forward, you know, it was a place that I always keep, you know, right. to my heart. So anyway, they are a, a PBS affiliate. And, you know, mm-hmm. once KCET moved or they kind of shut down somewhat, right. then that became the main hub. Yeah. So uh, the general manager there, she ran into me. We ran into one another. And she says, oh, my God, Joyce, you know, what have you been up to? And I told her we just finished this documentary. So she said, send it to me. Let me check it out. And she's like, we have to have this. Mm-hmm. So that's how it got on PBS. Great. Yeah. And- so, Brian, what has it been like for you on this uh, on this ride creating this documentary? Um, it, it, it's actually it, it's funny because I was just thinking, um, listening to Joyce's story, and it kind of um, will encapsulate um, your question is um, with uh, Dr. Robinson saying, "I trust you to tell the story." It's because this story is so personal to so many of the people. Um, I, I, one of the big things, and I think one of the things that gives this story such a heart is that I was just saying this the other day is that the story, we are just the vessels that were used to add visuals and tell this story, but it's actually giving a voice to the people who live this incredible, um, life at this hospital and during this time and the people of the villain and that connection. And to, I still, when I think back to sitting in those rooms and listening to those stories, People, you can tell when a person is talking to you and then you can tell when they're talking to you and they leave and they go someplace else. Yes. Every one of these people, when they were reaccounting the stories, they weren't just telling you, they were literally going back and reliving these moments. Mm -hmm. And you can just tell how much it meant to them. You can see the emotions come up. There's so much footage that we had to cut out. I think we... We had eight hours over of eight hours of, of footage. Yeah. We had over a hundred mm-hmm. interviews. I mean, mm-hmm. it was so mm-hmm. much. We just couldn't include everyone. 
And every avenue that we kept thinking, you know, even once we gathered everything, it was like, okay, how do we tell the story? So it was, it just really, really overwhelmed me for a moment because I really, which is why it kind of took a bit to get started because I didn't know what angle to take it from. And then finally I just said, you know what, just start from the beginning. And everyone we spoke with, I always had a set of questions. And one of my first questions was, do you know who Homer G. Phillips is? Mm-hmm. And you would have been surprised of how many people, even the doctors that worked there, there were some that didn't know who he was. They knew a little bit. They were like, oh, he was an attorney. But they had no idea that the reason, you know, sometimes um, things are named after people because they make a huge donation or something like that. But mm-hmm. they really had no idea, which you probably saw in the film, was why they named it after him and why it was right. so important to name right. it after him. And, and I wanted to ask you a question. Of how did you, what were your thoughts on the film? If you don't and mind it's, me asking. It's very relatable to what's going on now. To some, you know, which is why I wanted to, you know, also chat with you. Mm-hmm. Um, what's fascinating, though, I want to say is you both sound like two researchers where you're looking for the themes of what's going to be the most powerful and, and you're open to what emerges, which makes a great documentary. Mm-hmm. And then you um, you had to go through a lot of editing to decide which uh, ones to feature. Yeah, um, <laughs> the fact that we're both still uh, um, sitting here because we almost killed each other. No, <laughs> it's a lot, just so much. A lot. Yeah, we, we still to lot. this day have a picture that we always look up of uh, our wall because we have the whole project and we broke it down into decades. decades up on the uh-huh. wall and post-it notes. But it's also a good thing to do because you can look at that and it saves because you can do a lot of visual editing instead of actual sitting down and cutting because, and you also start to see um, s- similarities mm-hmm. and um, trends and differences and finding things that work. And then also things that don't work completely stand out, but it's still so much to, um, to go through. But I think one of the, one of the things that I kept thinking was how do you tell the story of this long of a period of time, but also without boring people, without right. just wanted to be talking heads and, and yeah. And, and, and then just not old photos. So right. Did we found reenactments, but I think the biggest thing was um, kind of asking everybody. The fact that everybody was asked a similar question, right? We try. I was able to do this interweaving thing in editing where everybody is commenting on the same thing at the same time. And sort of telling, the story and it adds together, so much more weight. Great. Now I will tell you, there's so many times at night I was staring at the editing at the wall, thinking, "Why did I ever start this?" Because once you start <laughs> doing it, you got to right. carry that all the way through. But I think it, it gives the uh, film. A, a heart a, a heart to it and also the fact that it's how it just everybody is commenting on what happened positive and negative and that was the hardest thing also is to take yourself out of the story and present everybody's view mm-hmm. and not give your own personal opinion which is the hardest thing to do with documentary filmmaking period right but i love the fact that we've had people that think it's a great idea that the um facility is now a senior living um facility and some people that think the hospital should have never been torn down and refused to even go into that building that it, it was such an important place and it garners so much emotion in these people even to this day and to see like you're saying the same issue still affecting us even now yes yeah. yes yeah you're both a huge inspiration for young filmmakers in that you have a lot to teach keep that in mind about oh, the process about getting an idea of the creative ways of editing, about boiling a lot of content down, just a very important message. When Brian was saying, like, when we broke it down for each decade, not only once you got into each decade, then we had to go through that decade and decide what 
was most important. <laughs> but um, there were a lot of sacrifices, like you said, you know, um, even for, you know, with Dr. Robinson, Rebecca, myself, you know, we all kind of had health issues that happened during, I mean, it was just a lot of things that were going on. Mm. But it is a testament to filmmaking and how much we love it because no matter what was going on in our lives, that was the main thing. It's like, we've got to get this movie done regardless of everything else that's happening. This Mm. movie has to be completed. It kept you going. Yeah. 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 It became became paramount. And aside from, because we were still traveling on weekends to film and come back and working our regular jobs Mm -hmm. because we didn't get paid to do this. We had everybody reached into their pockets and everything that we had, we just put into the film. Right. It was like we had a crowdsource funding that Mm -hmm. we all worked on very uh, diligently and Mm -hmm. that garnered us some funds because that was kind of the thing when we were starting the project. It was like, well, is there going to be money, you know, to put into this? And when there was no money, you know, and it wasn't by the fault of anyone being stubborn or stingy. It's just that, you know, Dr. Robinson had his own personal things he was doing. So regardless, once we got that funding, that started the process, but then we still had to continue. So like mm-hmm. Brian was saying, you know, thank goodness we had our own incomes. So yeah. we would, you know, take money, you know, and put into it ourselves. And I just know there's so many times, uh, Janine, where um, like some of the photos that weren't really public photos that you could just pull off the internet. They were actually specifically for that uh, when they had the riots during the closing. Mm -hmm. We had to get those from the um, St. Louis Mercantile and they weren't cheap. When I called to ask for these photos because they were high resolution and all of that, you know, we had to pay for that and we didn't have the money. I had to go like, well, I guess I have to buy it because (laughs) I have to have these photos. (laughs) So, and and it really didn't feel like it was a bad thing to do. I just did it, you know, I thought, well, you know, because if I don't, it's not going to happen. And then, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, what I was going to say is listening to both of you saying there was no funding for this project, but you had to make it made such an incredible project. There's a difference between, oh, we have all this money and it's so different when you don't have the money, but you have the passion and the dedication and you're so driven, you're mm-hmm. going to make one heck of a film. Thank you. That, yeah, that, that, that's true. There is a, when you don't have money, you can, you get very creative. Yes. Mm-hmm. You, you get very um, creative. And that's one thing that I always say, you hope you don't lose because when the money comes in, there's still these creative ways of storytelling that you want to hold on to because the money should enhance, not replace. That's right. And that's what it, it, it um, often does. And then also, I think we're very fortunate that we can do, our backgrounds are, became we very, many hats. Yeah, significant in what we're able to do. The fact that I was able to go and shoot, if we had to hire a DP or an editor for every time we went into editing, it'd be impossible yeah, it to and do that. Yeah. So we, yeah, yeah we wore um, a, a lot of hats. We're carrying our own equipment. We pulled in PAs from St. Louis to help us, which right. was, which when was really Right, when we got down great. to, like, the last, I would say, I don't know, like, maybe half of our shoots, but mm-hmm. initially, I was a PA, I was a grip, I was a person picking up the equipment. <laughs> I would fly in to St. Louis before everyone else, because yeah. actually it was Brian was the main cinematographer, and we mm-hmm. had another friend who worked with us on Sunshine Needles and me, Ken Montgomery. Mm-hmm. So Ken flew in. They would fly in on the weekend. And I would already be there getting all the equipment. And then I was running around town getting interviews. I was coordinate. I was production coordinator. So I had to set up all the interviews. I was the person being hung up on because I would call people and they would go like, well, I don't want to work with you. You were customer service. It was hilarious. And, and one of the main doctors that you saw in the documentary, Dr. Will Ross, 
an amazing position. Mm -hmm. He was the hardest person. You know, when I called him, he's like, what do you want? But he turned out when he finally, once we interviewed him and he saw, he has been one of our biggest advocates. He goes, I love you guys. You you know, but Mm -hmm. I think it's that having that, although I've never been a news reporter, I have that kind of drive where you can say no to me. You can call me all kinds of names. I'm still going to come back to you because when I did my other documentary on Mary Fields, Mm -hmm. the um, stagecoach Mary, Mm -hmm. oh my God, we had a situation where one of the main interviews, the son of the back during that time, they used the N word to describe. Oh, come on. And it was a regular thing. Really? So when we went to go get this interview, the son said, well, it's great that you're coming to interview my dad about in Mary. And my camera guy was taking the equipment out the car and he said, he just was thinking, Oh God, please just, I hope Joyce doesn't go off. And I just said, you know what? I need this so bad because this man was the last living, last living person to see Mary Fields alive. And she died in the early 1900s. And he was already almost 100. I said, I have to get this interview. He can call me anything he wants. (laughs) I'm getting in that room. And that's the same attitude I had regarding this film because from the nurses, um, they were the same way, but not mean to me, but they were very, as you saw, they're like one amoeba. They're like mm-hmm. one cell. Mm-hmm. So if you win one, you win them all. Mm-hmm. And they really gave me a hard time. But once we won them over, they've been some of our biggest advocates as well. So where can people see this film? Um, the film is on uh, Voodoo, uh, Fandango, mm-hmm. uh, Amazon. Now on Amazon Prime, I think it's going to be on Amazon Instant. It just hasn't, um, when you click on it, it's not there yet. But, it, but okay. you can order the DVD from Amazon Prime. Mm-hmm. I believe it's at Barnes & Noble. Target, Walmart, um, mm-hmm. to, to, but the instant, instantaneously it's is a, on Voodoo, it's a Voodoo uh, iTunes, Google Play, Vimeo, um, iTunes. I those, yeah, I think those Good. are all the, the services that it's available at right now. Cause you said Fandango. Uh, Fandango yeah. too. Yeah. Any last bit of information you want people to know about the film? The reason why we talked about the COVID-19 uh, why we thought it, it held so much, uh, you know, of a uh, meaningful, you know, uh, connection is because we are still, as African-Americans, going through the exact same thing. And, and that's, I think, it's so sad. It's like, you know, years have passed, decades have passed, and we're still at the end or the bottom of the totem pole when it comes to health care. We're so glad to get this documentary out because, Dr. Robinson, that is what he said. He said that, you know, Homer G. Phillips was the best time in his life. And that's because during that time, mm-hmm. medicine, black excellence was at its best. And we want people to see this so that black people, brown people, white people, whomever can look at African-Americans and see that we aren't just people walking down the street with our pants hanging down. I mean, we, there's a lot of black people that have done a lot of amazing things for sure U.S. Have. history. Yeah. yeah. What about I you, Brian? That, that's what I would add to it. it it's this one phrase that um, was spoken to me at a film festival. I, was, I would used to always say, I'm so glad we were able to get this story out because I think it's such an important part of American history, um, African-American history that would have been swept under the rug if we didn't tell it. And I was corrected um, from a viewer who watched this mm-hmm. film, and he said, this film is a part of American history. Everybody need, needs to see this. So yeah. it, it's, it's really you know, moved me um, to that point, and I hope it's inspirational to a lot of young black doctors that are sometimes the only ones in their class looking around wondering do I do I fit in mm-hmm. we had a student um, when we screened at Washington University came and told us that that mm-hmm. he was considering dropping out because people don't understand how hard it is to be the only one going through what you're going through 
but to see what they went through and how hard they had it, it gave him what he needed to keep going. Mm-hmm. That's that. all I hope the film can do. That's amazing. What's yeah. the website for the film? Thecolormedicine.com, mm-hmm. all one word. I want to thank both of you for calling in. This has been amazing. Congratulations. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you so thank much, you and for, thank you for having me.